Lyme disease is an infectious disease which can be transmitted to humans through a bite from an infected tick. The condition is linked to an incredibly diverse range of symptoms, including fatigue and fever, along with neurological, rheumatological and cardiac problems. Government figures report that there are about 1,000 laboratory confirmed cases each year in England and Wales, but many diagnoses will also be made clinically without ever being tested. A study published in BMJ Open in 2018, which looked at GP records, suggested there may be about 8,000 cases a year in the UK, which was three times higher than previous estimates. I'm Erin Dean from Nursing Standard, and I'm joined today by Nick Nick Beeching, a professor in tropical and infectious diseases from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, to find out a bit more about Lyme disease and how nurses can spot it. Thanks for joining me today, Nick. So, first of all, we'll jump in with how do ticks transmit the disease and are nurses in some parts of the country more likely to see cases of Lyme disease than others, do you think? Yes, thanks Erin. So the uh, Lyme disease is is transmitted by uh, certain kinds of hard tick which are particularly common uh, in areas with lots of sheep and deer ticks but it's the babies or nymphs they're called which are the most infectious to people Uh, and they will attach themselves to any part of the body that they come in touch with. And uh, if they're attached for probably for one or two days, uh, most likely to transmit Lyme disease. So this is common, more common in uh, grass and woodland areas throughout the UK. Uh, Some particularly famous areas are the New Forest and Thetford Forest, the Lake District, um, the, the North Yorkshire Moors and the Scottish Highlands and Islands. But actually, you, you can acquire this anywhere um, outside, uh, including people's gardens and local parks. And I've seen it transmitted to somebody uh, from a park in central Liverpool. So it is throughout the country, but more likely in those areas I mentioned. But it sounds like nurses um, anywhere in the UK um, could see it. So it's probably worth knowing some of the, the basic things to look out for, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm very struck when I've been to meetings about Lyme disease. Uh, the Scottish nurses who are present say, yeah, we see this every day almost. Uh, so so if you're working in a community setting as a nurse in areas where there are a lot more Lyme disease, you're much more likely to see it um, than somebody in an urban area. But all, all nurses should be aware of it. Uh, the sort of thing to look out for is uh, somebody presenting with a slowly spreading rash and that it's characteristically described as a bullseye rash looking rather like a target um, but unlike the kind of bites you get the kind of reaction you get after a mosquito or a tick bite which is usually a, a sort of hard red sore uh, for a couple of days this can increase gradually over one to four weeks and may not start until several days after the tick bite so that that's the classic rash of acute Lyme disease and at that time people might feel have a non-specific fever or feel very tired or they may have other features but that's the most common presentation no that they've um that they've had a tick bite might might know yeah that's one of the miscon- common misconceptions is that everybody has to have a history of a tick bite as i said these nymphs are tiny little things and and people may not notice it uh, they may not notice irritation or see the ticks uh, and and depending on the study uh, around a third of people may have no memory of having having a tick bite at all 
So it, it, it's more a history of potential exposure, being out in the garden, being out of grasslands. If there's a history of a tick bite as well, then that obviously um, adds to the history and makes it a bit more likely. Uh, but don't exclude it because people don't remember being a tick, having had a tick bite. And then when it comes to um, longer term uh, impact, it can cause a really wide range of symptoms, can't it? What kind of things do you look out for for a longer um, a longer term infection with Lyme disease? Yes, there are, there are many possible complications that sometimes as if the bug sort of spreads throughout the body, people may have a rash, have several rashes all over their body and have a more prolonged fever. Um, there, there are different strains of, of the Borrelia um, that, that cause Lyme disease in the UK and the, the ones in the UK are different from those in the States. So um, in, in this country, neurological uh, complications, which I'll talk about a bit more, are more common and rheumatological, people presenting with a sore knee or, or, or other sore joints are perhaps more common than in some other countries. If you, if you catch Lyme disease in the States, um, involvement of the heart is more common. So uh, people with untreated infection or prolonged severe infection um, can present with many, many problems. It's usually fever and tiredness. Uh, people with central nervous system involvement may have difficulty concentrating, uh, sometimes called brain fog. Um, there are a variety of painful manifestation, pain going down your arms or your legs. Uh, sometimes cranial nerve palsies, especially facial palsy, and that tends to be more common in children, uh, perhaps because they're more likely to bitten, be bitten uh, near the head and neck because they're shorter and nearer to the ground. Uh, so there's a wide variety of symptoms. Can it be hard to spot, given that obviously, by the sounds of it, patients can present with such a wide variety of things? Yes, it is very difficult. So patients might present to their uh, general practitioner or the emergency room um, <clears throat> or might be referred to rheumatology clinics or neurological clinics uh, with with this sort of or, or even to dermatology clinics. There's many different manifestations. Um, sometimes it's difficult to tease out the symptoms of ongoing Lyme disease from um, other infections that can cause tiredness and difficulty concentrating. And this is really where we need uh, testing to try and exclude other infections, first of all, uh, and to try and confirm the diagnosis. And, and when it comes to treatment, NICE guidance was issued um, in 2018, um, and that set out quite clear um, treatment advice, didn't it, for, the, for when Lyme disease is, is suspected. Um, what, what does it say about that? So the, 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 the main purpose of the NICE guidelines uh, was to encourage early recognition and treatment in, in primary care. Uh, and so it's very clear that you, if, if somebody sees somebody with a Lyme disease rash or otherwise suspected uh, acute Lyme disease, uh, they should be treated straight away uh, rather than sending off tests which might be negative at that stage of disease and, and wasting time waiting for results. And so the treatment is very straightforward. It's uh, oral antibiotics for three weeks, uh, doxycycline, or um, amoxicillin or uh, azithromycin if, if people have problems taking doxycycline. So that's straightforward. And they also set out um, slightly differing courses of treatment for uh, more prolonged disease with different complications, uh, peripheral nervous system disease or central nervous system disease or cardiac disease 
or, or rarer skin manifestations. Um, so those are all set out with alternatives and it also included uh, dosing recommendations for children. There's a clear pathway, isn't there, um, for patients who are presenting in primary care um, with, with the initial signs? Absolutely. And, and the guidance for this is on the NICE, uh, NICE website. It's, uh, there's lots of detail. Um, but actually, if you go to the gov.uk websites and the UK um, Health Security Agency website, formerly Public Health England, um, that there are very good links to it. And there's a very nice infographic that was published in the BMJ, quite clearly showing the different kinds of treatment that should be given, uh, considered for different stages of the disease. And, and that seems to be a condition that, um, that it's in the media quite a lot. It seems to generate quite a lot of um, controversy and interest, I'd say, especially um, especially at this time of year as days getting warmer. Um, what, why do you think that is why do you think it generates this this interest particularly? Well, it's it's it has been almost certainly underdiagnosed in the UK. There does seem to have been a genuine increase in uh, instance over the last decade. Although, of course, that was a, a little bit changed over the last couple of years because of um, uh, of COVID. <clears throat> but there has been under recognition of acute disease, um, and we hope that's been resolved. Um, there, there is controversy uh, about the accuracy of tests used. This is particularly discussed by people who believe in alternative testing and alternative therapies. And so there are differences of opinion. Um, the tests used in the UK are pretty robust, but it's, it's, it is very unusual in my experience. And I've seen a lot of patients with complicated Lyme disease over the years. Um, or suspected complicated disease, it's very unusual to see somebody who genuinely has ongoing infection and does not have positive tests. There are a small percentage and therefore everybody needs careful evaluation and perhaps repeat specialised testing. So unfortunately some people uh, are desperate to clarify their diagnosis which we understand and they may be tempted to send pay quite a lot of money for blood to be sent to laboratories in uh, in, in continental Europe, especially in Germany or overseas in the States. But those tests have not been validated um, in the UK setting. But it is a very emotive issue, unfortunately, um, and it sometimes set, sets um, doctors against patients or other healthcare workers against patients. Uh, and it's important, I think, uh, to look at some of the the support websites by patient groups, Lyme Disease Action, I find a particularly useful one, um, patient-focused approach, but also a very good scientific approach. Uh, and um, we, we have uh, had a lot of dialogue with them. We don't always agree with them, but I think there's a wonderful uh, site of information for patients. It's a complex condition. It sounds like emotions can, unsurprisingly, with people's health sometimes um, run high, um, perhaps in the, in the more... Um, in the, in the later stage or with complicated Lyme disease? Yes, I think the other problem is that a lot of the um, features of people with chronic infection do overlap with other, other syndromes, uh, which are not always well-defined either, including things like chronic fatigue syndrome, which has many potential causes, um, uh, various myalgia syndromes, and so teasing those out from 
actual Lyme disease is, is really quite difficult clinically sometimes. And when it comes to um, any general public health advice that nurses can pass on to people um, as they prepare to spend more time outside and the days hope they get warmer as they get longer, um, what kind of what kind of advice, practical advice can they give their patients? Well, I think the first thing is to be tick aware, to be aware that ticks may be present in, in especially in grassland and woodland, especially if they're deep and deer about, but just any woodland and grassland area. Um, and where possible, try and stick to cleared paths. And that's not always possible, um, but that reduces the risk of being bitten by a tick. And then if you have been in those sort of areas uh, or even out in your garden, look, look at look at areas that might have been exposed, especially your legs or tiny little pinhead sized nymphs that might be attached to you. If you have if people have a tick attached to them, they should be carefully removed um, without squashing them. Uh, and there is advice on the websites on how to do this, but essentially um, fine pointed tweezers lifting the tick away, not just ripping it out, uh, trying not to detach the mouth parts from the tick. Or if you live in an area where there are lots of ticks, you can get uh, specialised little tick tweezers that you can slip under the, between the head of the tick and, and the skin, which helps lifting them out without causing trauma. So, so those are all things that um, uh, that is good advice for, for, for everybody going outdoors. And if patients uh, develop a rash that might be Lyme disease, they, they should also know that they should uh, consult a healthcare worker early and, and get treatment as early as possible. Right. And things like um, steps like covering up skin and the trousers and long sleeve, um, that can all help as well, I think, keep those ticks away, can't it? Can't it? <laughs> yes, advice is often given to wear long trousers and tuck your trousers in. Uh, and some people would would spread detour, which contains permethrin, on on clothes. It's not absolutely effective for preventing ticks. It's much better at preventing mosquito bites. Uh, that will provide partial protection, but people uh, shouldn't rely on that um, as, as total protection. Thank you very much for your time today, Nick, and for telling us um, telling us a bit more about Lyme disease, how to spot it, um, and how to manage it. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.